You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Should we, should we just pray before we start? Father, we love you. Teach us to love you more. Lord, we just long for your presence among us. I was just reading this in Revelation 21. It says this, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with, with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying on pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Lord, we just sang about it. I just pray, Lord, among us this morning, you would make things new. That's the business you're in, Lord. I pray that you would restore, change, refresh, encourage, lift our hearts. Lord, I pray for a breaking into the kingdom that is in heaven on the earth. Lord, that you would be our God and we would be your people. That this would be more than just a social thing this would be more than just a community thing this would be more than just a gathering of people together this would be a people that are yours with eyes fixed on you lord would your glory be manifest among us this morning Speak truth and power and revelation to our hearts that we would know more of you, that we'd see more of you, that we'd understand more of you, that we would become more like you. We welcome you here, Lord. Increase our sensitivity to you. Lord, just each of us individually now, I just pray increase our ability to know you to understand you and to send you we welcome you lord it's not that you're not already here it's just that we long and we're desperate and we're hungry for more as we step into this new year would we step into more of knowing and loving you and serving you with every fiber of our bones bless you god Amen. Well, I'm delighted you're here. Welcome to those joining us online as well. I'm just going to start a new uh, series today as we step into the new year, and it's called this, Known to be Grown. I want to have some potentially hard conversations or to stir for you some hard conversations that will release life. And I'm going to base that on uh, the book of Corinthians. It's going to be a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. We're not going to dig in in much depth. So I'd encourage you to look at it personally, to dig into it personally. But I'm excited for what I believe the Lord wants to do in us and, and through us as we do that. Before we just jump in, though, can I, I just mention a couple of things. Firstly, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And... Um, that you just saw something fresh of Jesus. But alongside that, I just wondered maybe, I don't want to do it every week, but just have a real quick conversation about this virus thing. 
And um, let, let's be honest, we're all going to have very differing views and different opinions right now on what is best or what is right, and that will be altered and that will be shaped through the, the lens through which we see them. And again, that is based on differing views and opinions and perspectives. And I have no background or expertise whatsoever medically. Many of you could vouch for that. But um, we, we don't intend to lead you that way. We intend to lead you spiritually and through that lens. Uh, but let, let me just say this, though, that we intend to function, of course, within the requirements and to be most honouring of, of the government. Let's be people who are praying for them. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live in peace and quiet lives marked by the godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. We want to pray for those right now that oversee us. It's so easy to criticise and it's so easy to be cynical, but what about we pray for them? We also want to honour the, the vineyard movement, the other churches in the city, the school that we meet in. We want to live and work and operate prayerfully, safely and honourably to live out the mandate that we believe we have to love Jesus and serve the city. And when we can and where we can to continue to meet in person right now, of course, that means a number of things, including wearing a mask and there's a degree to which that may feel for some of you restrictive and for others of you by far not restrictive enough. Equally, sometimes I think this is about perspective and the lens we see it through. There's vineyards right now today, this morning in Wales, who are only able to gather in 20s. But we believe, whilst we can, that we're going to prioritise meeting. We're a relational people, and the impact and the pain for many of you for not meeting is great and significant. Of course, there's going to be times where we won't meet, we're not meeting, as we mentioned a minute ago, for the, for the welcome dinner. There's a number of things that we can't do that we want to do. But, and of course, there will be some of us who feel incredibly nervous and cautious. And there'll be some who in this season would need to or prefer not to uh, be in person for things and would rather do that online. And of course, that's understandable. Of course, that's fine. We'll do all we possibly can to allow things like the live stream to work. The tech doesn't always allow it. But great job once again, guys, this morning. It did work. But I, I just encourage all of us, however we view it or however we see it, to remain connected. Whatever that looks like or whatever that means in any way you can, but also then to have maximum grace and consideration for each other. There'll be, there'll be some people who are currently joining us solely online who it just their sense of this being their people and then being part of it starts to shift because there'll be many new people in the room. And we, we don't want it to be like that. We want you to fully still be part of this, however you might feel. I hope that's helpful just to briefly share that. But this, the second one is this. The Lord, regardless of all of that, is moving powerfully among us as we openly and intentionally respond to him. Some of you will have been here uh, the week before the carol service, which was like the last normalish service that we did before things got quite Christmassy. And um, your, your collective response and openness, not just in the room, but also online to the Holy Spirit was deeply encouraging. Uh, for those of you that weren't here, let me say that we, we hit the ministry time, which we always prioritise at the end. We want to make space for the Lord. And about 80% of you in the room responded, more Lord, 
would that always be the case that we just respond to the lord one of the the guys who was coordinating that morning came to me and uh, he he just looked at me and I said, go into the kids' rooms and get everybody who is an adult who is not looking after kids to come in here because we kind of need everybody. And don't you love that? That there was like an outpouring of the Spirit. Anyway, some of you might remember that that week, a number of things happened, but there was a specific word around teeth. Were some of you in the room for that? And it, it was quite a random one because it was like top row, round to the left, third one round. And... Um, Anyway, two of you responded to that specific word and both had quite remarkable encounters with the Lord and a number of things, I would say, came off you as, as a result. And um, as, as a number of other people also responded to the Lord and had powerful encounters. But anyway, one of you was completely healed of a tooth pain that you'd had for six months plus. And you then spent the preceding week trying to test it out with everything within you to work out if it was healed, trying ice cream and hot and cold drinks and, and all of that. And it was completely healed. And um, anyway, <clears throat> Steph had been helping that morning in the kids. And so I was telling her what happened over lunch. And it kind of went like this. So she went, that, that's one, two, three. That's my tooth as well. And, and it Bizarre. Anyway, my exact words to her in that moment were, shut the front door. And uh, anyway, now some of you right now are thinking, Paul, you're barking mad. And honestly, I love it. I really love it. And I love it for a number of reasons. But the first one is this. I can't explain it. Sometimes people are healed. Sometimes people aren't. Sometimes people are fully healed. Sometimes people are partially healed. I've got, I think, a few explanations. But overall, it's God... And it's not us. But we're going to keep asking and we're going to keep responding and we're going to keep opening ourselves up to the life-changing, life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing what the Lord can do and wants to do among us? That's just one little drop in the ocean story of some of what we're seeing happening. But let's just jump into Corinthians. 1 and 2 Corinthians are letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth because there was some challenging stuff going on that he needed to to speak into. And Paul's letters, I think, to the Corinthians are quite fascinating if we just parallel ourselves as a people right now in this city alongside it because that was also a large city with a hodgepodge of races and, and, and creeds and languages and cultures and all sorts. And it was the largest city to that point that Paul had encountered. And it was a large population in a relatively small area. And many of the people that lived there were rootless. And um, that's not a word I would use, but I would often say this culture here feels very transient. People are often passing through the city. And at that time, they were drawn there for a number of reasons. And they came from all over the Roman Empire. And Paul had seen the, the love of Jesus grow and the love of Jesus flourish and the power of God move in many places. And he was longing for it to be rooted in that place among that population in a highly populated, very wealthy, commercially minded, sex-obsessed city in Eastern Europe. And he's, he's, he's seeing some stuff that is kind of starting to go a bit wonky. It's kind of going astray and he's seeking to speak into it. And what I'm aware of with the backdrop of that, and I would say this has just been my personal journey anyway, is, is that to grow, we've got to be known. 
I know I've, I've, I've been grown, I've been changed, I've been shaped as other people have known me and walked alongside me and stepped into speaking truth over me. We need to have people around us who, who walk out stuff alongside us for us to be able to grow. And that takes a degree of self-awareness, it takes a degree of emotional intelligence, and it takes an openness, and it takes a willingness. But And the, the reality alongside that is if... If we can't grow you as, as, a, as a people, we can't see you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you become frustrated. And when you become frustrated, you become disillusioned. And when you become disillusioned, your behavior starts to not just trip you up, but trip others up. And the, the challenge is, with all of that, most of the growth that will happen in your life is actually down to you and your interaction with the Holy Spirit and your willingness and your openness to allow it to happen. And it's funny because sometimes we think it depends on others because actually it's a heck of a lot more comfortable and easier, but we have to take ownership and responsibility for ourselves. And uh, otherwise what we basically do in our discipleship and our growth pattern is we create our own ceiling to our own growth and development. So... It's a bit of a strange question, but what if what if the limiting factor to your growth was you? Because I kind of think it is. What would you want to do about it? So that's that's the backdrop. That's kind of where I want to scratch out over these next few weeks as we look at Corinthians. But as as we jump into this, I want you to know that doing church together and being a church that has a heart for the city is actually jolly hard work. Have any of you found that, discovered that, or realized that? I, I find it really hard work. Paul stayed in uh, Corinth for about 18 months, and it was slightly longer than he, he planned to do. And to provide enough money for himself to do the thing that he believed he was called to do, that meant he worked eight-hour days making tents. Now, some people, you may have used that language, oh, they're tent-making. And... Uh, basically the language they use that for is when somebody's got a second job. Now, that is the case, but when I actually say Paul was tent making, he was actually making tents because we get that language and concept from him. And so he's turned up in Corinth and he's feeling pretty weak. He's actually not in the greatest health. He's physically battered. He's spiritually battered by some of the stuff that he's just been through. And now he's emotionally deprived because he's left behind a partnership that he'd enjoyed with Silas and Timothy. And he's coming into a mega city that is faced with some of the challenges that I just mentioned a minute ago on all that it had on offer. And he's a guy that works hard and is working hard. And he's a guy that is exhausted. And I just wanted to kind of start by saying, if, if, if you're here this morning and you've, you're giving everything you've got, literally every ounce and every fiber of your being to your job to your family to your relationships to leading to ministering to small group to the pressures and the demands of life particularly in this season that we're walking through that is actually quite tiring and draining and exhausting that doesn't actually mean you're doing anything wrong it doesn't mean you're in the wrong place or you need to pull back I often reflect on verses like Mark 3, verse 20, where it says, One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. You know, sometimes you're just going to be run off your feet. 
doing the thing that he's called you to do. And if we do what he's called us to do, sometimes, actually, most of the time, I think it's hard work. I think it's exhausting. I would say I'm not looking for an easy life. I'm looking for a Jesus-centered life. I'm not looking for the kingdom of comfort. I'm looking to see the kingdom of God extended and to live it out. But sometimes that's quite tiring and it's quite exhausting. What then happens to Paul is crucial for him. And I actually think it's really crucial for us as we realize and we learn to embrace it that Paul is drawn towards this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And it's kind of hard to underestimate just how big a deal this friendship that he develops with them is because encouragement and partnering in serving the king and extending the kingdom is crucial. Sometimes in our cultural context and setting, we don't fully grasp that or realize it. We try and do it alone. But to really grow, we need to be known. And it's so crucial for us to be known because it's crucial for us to be grown. And therefore, guess what the enemy goes after? I don't know if you've ever found that. He's going to come after that tooth and nail. Every relationship, partnership and every form or environment of encouragement. Because it's, it's not just a nice thing, it's kind of an essential thing. It's why I would say, if you ask me what is one of the hardest things that... that we've had to go through since planting this church that has been absolutely savaged I would say small groups because the enemy's gone after it probably the hardest because it's the primary place of relationship partnership and encouragement and it's it's fascinating Aquila and Priscilla they were they were kind of first to it they jumped straight in in this relationship with Paul sometimes it takes a few people It takes the brave, it takes the bold, it takes the faithful to say we're in and we're going nowhere. And from that place, something happens and more happens. Then there's the arrival of Silas and Timothy, not only bringing the the, the good news of what was happening among the Macedonian churches, but also then making a powerful team of five of them to carry the gospel and to create a bridgehead that became crucial as they stepped into sharing the gospel in that city. But if over the last year you found leading a small group hard, if you found leading anything hard, if you found just living out your faith hard, yeah, I kind of, I hear you, to be honest, I, I get it. I think Paul gets it. Sometimes it's really hard and it's exhausting. But shared ministry, doing this together, is fundamental. Please don't try and do it alone. It's based on strong friendship and partnership. It's not just doing Christian stuff together. It's sharing life together. Sometimes we don't easily share life together, but we need to. Because we need to be shaped by the Spirit. We have to be grown to be able to be known. As much as we grow by being known, it's also true of the reverse. Because who Jesus is to you is going to be who Jesus is through you. And that the closer you are to him, the more of him that is going to flow out of you. So it may be hard to hear it, but if you're abrasive and grumpy, and if you bite people's head off, it's kind of no surprise that you're not naturally walking life out alongside other people because we've got to allow the Spirit of God to shape us 
to get others alongside us to get on with all that he's called us to do. And Aquila and Priscilla become these close partners of Paul. So close. I, I love what happens, that they were prepared to move job and move home at the summons of the Spirit to see the fervorance of the gospel. You know, the more I thought about that and reflected on that as I was preparing this, I thought that's kind of a really big deal. And I want to say, don't be surprised at what he's going to ask or what he might ask of you this coming year. Aquila and Priscilla become such close partners of Paul that they were prepared to move job and home at the summons of the Spirit to see the fervorance of the gospel. The kingdom of God when it's fully lived out, costs us everything. Paul was tent making. He did one thing to allow him to do another thing. Making tents wasn't his priority. Has tent making become more important than the kingdom of God and the kingdom extending in your life? I'm not saying you're in the wrong place or the wrong job. I'm just saying, has it become the driving force of who you are and what you're about? Don't lose your focus on the kingdom. It takes time and it involves and it needs shared experience and shared life together. Many of you will know if you've been here for, for more than a week that I resist with everything within me people calling me something other than Paul. Um, don't, please don't call me like Pastor Paul or Reverend Paul or any of, any of that kind of thing. Now, some of you would do it as a little joke afterwards, but, but I'm like, oh, just please don't do that. Because I'm just Paul. And uh, it makes me laugh sometimes when people say to me, oh, but what do you do? And it makes me laugh even more when they say, what does Steph do? Because I'm like, trust me, she does a lot. But oh yeah, I often say, oh yeah, she just makes the cucumber sandwiches at home. No, 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 no. People's understanding of a pastor's wife. I'm a, I'm a pastor's husband. But anyway, um, some of you have watched too much of the Vicar of Dibley. But do you, do you know what... Do you know what I do? I just thought I'd tell you actually some of what I do. This is, by the way, just alongside Steph and I having young kids and some stuff we do in the movement and leading the church. But I help people when their car breaks down. And I help people when their washing machine breaks. And I help them lay their patio and I go around and help them if maybe they've got rats or mice. And I'm not actually an expert in any of that. But I put people's bins out when they go on holiday and um, I... Sometimes we might drop a meal around if someone's sick or send them kids some sweets if they're isolating. And I could probably go on and on and on and on and on. They were just a few things off the top of my head. But it says this, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives, our own lives too. And if I'm really honest, that costs me. And it costs me deeply because it's exhausting. And it's the stuff that the enemy goes after. And it's the thing that hurts when somebody then throws it back in your face. And it's why it hurts is because people make out you don't care, but you do care. And I guess the point I wanted to make was this, that Paul worked hard and he was exhausted. And actually he said he was burdened by his concern for all the church. Sometimes it's really hard work and it's really exhausting and it's going to be that for you. It doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing or you're in the wrong place. And sometimes me bringing my best is going to mean the talk on a Sunday isn't just a B minus, it's probably a D minus. 
But actually, it needs to be that way sometimes because Steph and the kids need to get the A star. Does that make sense? The lady up the road who doesn't know Jesus, who's just had a fall and doesn't have anybody to help her, who needs some food taken around, or the guy over the road who lives on his own, who needs an hour-long conversation about clearing leaves, just so that he can then talk to me about something meaningful and the burdens of life, and I need to take the time to listen to it. Because Mark 3 Verse 1 says this, Jesus went into the synagogue again and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. I love that verse because Jesus noticed the man with the deformed hand. He took the time to notice something about that guy's life. I need to spend myself on other people's lives so that I might notice some of the things in their life where they need a touch of Jesus. And they might notice how much I love them or how much I'm willing to serve them. That my neighbor might text me at one minute past midnight when I've been out late encouraging others and cheering others on. I get into bed exhausted, tired, having worked all day. That my neighbor might text me to say that he's got a leak in his kitchen and I go around and I help him. Sometimes the talk on a Sunday needs to be a D minus because my desire to serve and to love others needs to be an A star. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Because I don't want to be harping on about me. I just need to tell it through my lens so that you can see it through your lens. That Some of you, you've got your A star and your D minus the wrong way around. See, my world doesn't revolve around our children. If it did, I would be showing and modeling them the wrong thing. My world, my world needs to revolve around Jesus. But what's your world revolving around? Is it your career? Is it money? Is it the gym? What's the thing that becomes the A star when really it should be the D minus? Because Smith Wigglesworth, I love the guy, he said this, the reason the world is not seeing Jesus is that Christian people are not filled with Jesus. They're satisfied with attending meetings weekly, reading the Bible occasionally and praying sometimes. It's an awful thing for me to see people who profess to be Christians, lifeless and powerless, and in a place where their lives are so parallel to unbelievers that their lives are difficult to tell which place they're in, whether in a place of the flesh or a place of the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, we love you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Sometimes I think that's going to be hard and I think it's going to be costly. It's not a task or a job to do. For some of you that are task focused or task driven, actually sometimes that can be hard because it's not a task, it's a life to share. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, he said something that he learned in Corinth and a lesson that he used then to conclude a major teaching of one of his letters. He said this, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Right now, some of you, one of the best things you can do is to be strong and immovable in your faith, in your resolve, in your passionate pursuit of becoming more like Jesus, working, living, serving with everything within you. Every ounce and every droplet of enthusiasm you can muster at any point at all times to the Lord and to serve the Lord as faithfully as you might be able in the context in which he's placed you. Let's just have a quick look at 1 Corinthians 1. 
we could call the, the first part of this chapter the perfect church because it's kind of anything but that. But here's the context and the backdrop to the, to the church that Paul's writing this letter to. It's a large church. It's full of cliques. People are following different personalities at meals. The rich keep themselves to themselves and the poor are left alone. It seems like there's no discipline. There's a bit of a mess with some morals and some doctrine. They're unwilling to submit to any kind of authority. Paul's apostleship and his integrity was regularly questioned. There's a lack of humility and lack of consideration for others. And some are keen on some of the dramatic gifts of the spirit, but they're short on anything that is rooted in love and truth. <laughs> Sounds interesting, doesn't it? With that backdrop, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 1, nine. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Other versions of that passage call the word partnership, fellowship with his son. But I love this one. It says he's invited you into partnership. He's called you into partnership as we start this new year together what are you going to do about that because there has never been a richer moment in my lifetime than right now I think for us to step in together to be in church this is a phenomenal moment the world is sinking so much of society is losing its head and its hope, having put it in so many other things that have been pulled back and withdrawn. And we get to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ, which is the same yesterday, today and forever. Mark 4, I think, describes how some of the seeds of the kingdom are planted. Jesus uses the analogy of a farmer planting seed and he says it kind of works out a number of ways. Some is taken away by Satan. Some hear it and receive it with joy, but it doesn't have any roots and they don't last. They fall away and when they encounter problems and persecution. It says when they encounter problems and persecution, not if they're going to encounter it. Some are crowded out by the various worries of life and the lure of life and wealth and the desire for things and um, therefore they bear no fruit. Gosh, man alive, do you see that happening right now? Some are crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of life and wealth and the desire for other things and so bear no fruit. And then the final group of us develop a harvest 30, 60, even 100 times as much as planted. He's called you into partnership to develop a harvest 30, 60, even 100 times as much as planted. Please do not miss that opportunity. Don't get caught up in tent making. Don't get caught up with a focus on the D minus. By the way, I'm not in any way trying to say that I don't hold dearly to the teaching in the church. I'm not trying to give you a D minus. <laughs> You're like, it's an E. It's not. But I, I try and give you my best every week. But honestly, we're a church plant. We need to remind ourselves that our call is to salvation and a call to faith and a call to Jesus and a call to service. Sometimes, most of the time, this thing and doing this thing together is hard work and it's going to be exhausting. But he's called you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Corinthian church in many ways was a, was a bit of a mess. 
if I'm honest. It's full of problems, there's sin everywhere, there's division. There's many, many, many perfect churches, but they don't survive the first person joining them. Honestly, we've, we've, we have to grow. We have to grow. Read 1 Corinthians 1 and you realise we have to grow. We've got to be different. We have to change, otherwise we're in big trouble. We can't just be going through the motions. We can't lack a desire and an expectation for growth and maturity. Don't stagnate. That is the last thing we want to do. I want to desperately urge you on for more. More today, more this week, more this month, more this year. Paul's confidence, regardless of all the challenges he's seeing and speaking into at Corinth, his confidence is based on God's generosity and God's faithfulness. Let, let me show you how that works out, because it does in a number of ways, but let me name two. First, the church has all the gifts of God's grace. It says this, verse 4, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you, now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. If we're to know the fullness of God's blessing, if we're to experience the gifts of his grace which are ours in Jesus, it has to be together in fellowship, together in relationship, and together in a commitment to each other. The best thing we could do as we start this new year together is to commit. Commit to each other, to see how the Lord will grow you, to see how he might use you as you partner with him, and the things that he's about. Tired, exhausted, bruised, burnt out, previous experience, all of that needs to fall at the feet of Jesus and we need to go again or even go for some of us for the first time because he's called you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says, so therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So the first is the church has all the gifts of God's grace. I believe that honours and for us. The second is that the church will be completely sustained by the faithfulness of God. Paul isn't just convinced or encouraged or confident in the resources of the church at Corinth. He's fully confident in the Lord's goodness for them for the future. Paul is sure of the faithfulness of God. He's sure that he's called them all into partnership with him and he's sure that God will sustain them. Verse 8 and 9, he will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus. You know, we can depend on God. Many of you, I think, need to hear that right now. You can depend on him. Don't depend on yourself. Our lives, our careers, our money, our children, our church, none of it is ours. It's all his. We're caretakers. We're not owners. He's the owner. What does all this glorious hope mean in terms of our vision for the local church? Well, surely it means that we unreservedly commit to the church of God where he's placed us, that without hesitation we're confident about God's desire and ability to make his church 
into the place that looks like Jesus and that we're uncompromisingly certain about the call on our lives for us to be holy because he is holy. And I don't, I don't want to, well, I say I don't because I do because I'm going to, but I don't want to end on a downer. But I kind of just want to have a real quick look at some of the divisions that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because I think we can learn from it. We need to be united in what is increasingly a divided time. It says this, verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Paul had such a high view of the church at Corinth, and it must have broken his heart to be hearing stories and understanding stories of division among them. The Corinthians had started to become selective about the truth and that allowed them to form into cliques around what certain groups of people thought was right. Now surely that never happens nowadays, does it? You know? So surely there's something we can learn from. But there's four there's kind of four groups in this in the first chapter. The biggest problem with all of them is they've taken their eyes off Jesus. That's kind of the big deal. I know it's a really simple thing to say, but that's the problem. Each of them started then to support a person or a personality. Doing that leads to being disillusioned because you become disillusioned when you have an illusion. Honestly, I can't emphasize that enough. People can become disillusioned with the church because they make it about a person. It's so much more than a person. It's about the person, Jesus and him and him alone. I I don't want to. I don't try to. But at times, I I will let you down. I will disappoint you. I know that because I let myself down and I disappoint myself. I'm not who I was, I'm not who I'm going to be, but day by day I'm becoming more like him and one day I'll fully get there, but that's not likely to be this side of heaven. But my hope isn't on or in me, it's in Jesus. And this this thing, the church, this isn't ours, it's him and it's his. And he's coming back for it and he loves it. And I'm going to love the things that he loves in the way that he loves them because that's what becoming more like him is like. So we've got to be so careful that we don't allow divisions to arise because that's what he speaks into and tells us not to do. And clashes of personality that we see happen in Corinth, often when you look at them, are nothing more really than a failure or even a refusal to let God's love change them in their attitudes towards one another. They then allow those differences instead of the love of God to determine the quality, the openness and the depth of their relationships that they have with each other. How sad and yet how easy to do. Verse 12, some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Kind of, oh dear. Sad, isn't it? And yet so easy to do. Can I, can I say, please never follow people. Follow the Jesus in them. Be inspired by them, be shaped by them, be challenged by them, be encouraged by the Jesus in them. But follow Jesus. 
don't follow them in a time and a season where you see the celebrity Christian culture. Please don't do it. Follow Jesus. Apollo, sorry, Apollos, actually, he was quite impressive. He was an intellectual, and without actually doing anything deliberately to feed it, things developed around that gifting that he had. And there was a personality cult that can happen around gifts and graces of being impressive or an impressive speaker or whatever it was that he had or carried. So easy to fall into that category and that trap. Then there were some legalistic debates with people and people were starting to <coughs> back Peter, emphasising the, um, the importance of a particular outward pattern of behaviour and strict duties towards the church and specific pastoral structures or oversights. That's kind of another category and another thing. Then, then there was the Jesus position. You know, we just read it in verse 12, some followed Jesus. Wherever the Spirit of God is at work, there will always emerge a group of people who take human leadership very lightly. You know, it's kind of the view, who needs leaders anyway? Jesus is our leaders. He's the head of the body and we go straight to him. And now I hear that and I get that. The challenge is that often then becomes the hotline to God. And that position is very, very intimidating for others. The result is other people in the church often feel really inadequate. We don't get a clear message from God. We don't have a sense of intimacy in prayer, we can't match the certainty with which they hear from God. Do you see what I mean? I think the the Jesus following position is the one that says, God said to me, I heard God say, the Lord has said to me. I, I honestly, I hear in part and I prophesy in part, I'm doing my absolute best. But there's always a faint whisper of superiority about that kind of approach. And the challenge is those experiences then can't be evaluated, let alone be wrong, because they're above analysis. The Lord has said to me, how can you speak into that or challenge that? Paul's agreement against disunity all really focus on Jesus. It needs to be said uncompromisingly that both then in Corinth and genuinely now, today, division and disunity arise because the eyes of the Jesus followers are actually elsewhere rather than solely on Jesus. Verse 31, it ends by saying this, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Out of those four groups, I think at times it's very easy for us to slip into one of them, a couple of them, maybe all of them, and we've got to be on our guard for it. 1 Corinthians Eight, verse 1 but while knowledge makes us feel important it is love that strengthens the church anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much different version of the same passage says we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up I appeal to you as we read in 1 Corinthians 1 I appeal to you dear brothers and sisters by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other let there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind united in thought and purpose. For that to be a reality among us, we can't look to others. We have to hold a mirror up to ourselves. We have to fight hard to ensure that any of 
that that stuff doesn't get in the way of what God wants to do in us and through us individually and collectively as a church. Because who Jesus is to you is going to be who Jesus is through you. Shall we make some space for him to minister? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.